Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. You can't put these so close to Eric, there's sugar in them. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. That's our opening to this episode. <laughs> yes. um, what's up, everybody? We are a little distracted coming to you this time because there are hors d'oeuvres in front of us. Go ahead, Eric. Ooh, you can, I you don't can know it. Is in front Just of us. for the people that might not be able to see for, behind the For thing. those who are watching on YouTube now, you get to see, you are seeing currently what Eric is holding out in front of him, which is some jam in front of me here between Ryan Muckenhern, who is our guest along with Eric, of course, and then Mark's joining me as well, uh, is some kind of a green half log with crackers. Uh, it's a speckled log. I'm not sure. It looks spreadable. It is. It's butter. Hmm. That's butter. It is. What kind of butter? It's ramp butter. Ramp butter. Correct. And so these things are fitting, being that, oh, and sorry, I almost missed one other thing on the table, which is, what yeah, are these? Those are dried elderberries. I had the uh, intention of making us all a cup of elderberry tea. That um, sounds delightful. But we ran out of, a, of time downstairs. We were a bit Man. of a constraint, so. We would be full on, full send hippie on this podcast if we had that to round it out. But we're right now we're running Heck, Jim, about. you're wearing the. The footwear I know, for wearing, it. Stop, I know I'm in sandals. I, I look, noticed that not, last week. Is everything all right? Everything's fine. I, it's it's a it's a thing. Anyway, it's a thing. Um, okay, but we want to talk about foraging and essentially gathering. You know, because we talk a lot about hunting, and the other side of that is the hunter gatherer mindset. And so, uh, Mr. Muck and Hearn over here does quite a bit of that. And being that at the time of this recording, it is spring. He's been quite busy. You've been telling us your stories of going out to uh, a lot of public land spots, and yes. uh, which is pretty sweet, just going out and finding wild things that you can eat and consume. Eric, it's fine. You okay, can eat can the jam. Uh, <laughs> which is which? So this is this is uh, Wisconsin raspberry. That's Wisconsin wild grape. Okay, proceed. So, <laughs> uh, we yeah, we will probably be munching on some of these hors d'oeuvres while we're talking here, but... It's kind of neat, and the more you explain it uh, that I've heard about, it, I think I think Ryan has sort of inspired many, a lot of us here, uh, to at least think it's cool. I don't know, I haven't done it yet myself, to be honest. But the idea of getting your own food out there, plucking it out of the ground and stuff, uh, but a lot of questions that I think I've had, and probably I guess if I had them, you know, then the average Joe or Jane out there maybe has too. Mark and Eric, I guess. Eric, Eric yep. just came along to eat. Mark, yep. you might have some as well. <laughs> Eric's doing some modern foraging yep. right now. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the jams. Yeah, I don't, is that a good place to start, Ryan? Absolutely. Where do we start? What, is, what is foraging? What are you doing when you're doing foraging? Well, exactly. It, it, to me, it's just hunting plants. Do you have to get a tag? Do you have no? Are there limits? It, we're we're pretty there? we're pretty lucky in um, Wisconsin in that there is no permitization that I'm aware of at the level at which I do this required to go pick berries in the woods. Okay. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. Or picking ramps yeah. or other vegetables, mushrooms, which yep. I'm I'm hoping we'll talk about. And uh can you tap maple trees for I, syrup? I do. I did not land? I didn't bring any syrup with today. That's quite all right. I, I'm sorry. That's a big one. Yep. Another thing I hope we talk about. But is the jam good good spot to start? Yep. For absolutely. a hippie like yourself? Absolutely. Or in house. So what do you so when you're going out there like I'm curious, does every place that is, you know, of course, there's many different habitats out there. You got desert people out there, you know, (laughs) desert people. Uh, People 
people living in a desert climate, I'm sure they have different things or maybe maybe a lack of certain things that we have here in Wisconsin. But for example, in Wisconsin, can you just like kind of go anywhere and find something that you can eat? I will say this. Um, when I moved out here, I'm from central Minnesota originally. I didn't know what to think. This is a superior state in that regard. Whoa. There's oh, no okay. question about right. it. You the, finished that with in that regard. I thought it was just about to end at superior no, state. The, no. Um, <laughs> but in, in terms of like the biodiversity and the, uh, the wildlife and the opportunity and the amount of just stuff to eat and do outside Wisconsin's gather peg. That's cool. Big time. And you found these berries and grapes here. They're wild. Yep. You just went to some spot, public land, just started looking around. How do you know? You've been able to smell certain things. Do you smell berries when you're um, up or what? Uh, no. I don't smell berries. Mushrooms I can smell, but berries I can't. I could smell flowers. Like I could walk us into a wood and be like, okay, there's there's an apple or something like an apple upwind. Um, and then the mushrooms, they help you smell colors? Yeah, correct. And that's, <laughs> and that's really where this all started. Okay. Was the, yeah, no, um, no, those are very visual, like vibrant. You can see them from a long ways away. You know, the even the stocks pre-season in the wintertime, I do a lot of berry scouting. Uh, and in the fall time when I'm, when I'm out hunting, you know, I come across a, a spot that's like, oh yeah, this can be a good raspberry patch or a good blackberry patch. Or, you can tell that in winter. Yeah. How yeah. do you know? Uh, raspberries and blackberries have a pretty distinct looking stem. Um, the raspberries are, are like a, um, kind of a, a deep purple. The blackberries are very dark red. They're thorny. They're very large. They have a very like distinct sweep to their shape, the way they grow in a cluster, in a group. Like, you know definitively that is a raspberry patch or that is a blackberry patch. Huh. And so I, I drop a lot of tags on my Onyx uh, for that. And they don't have a berry thing on there yet, but maybe they'll hear this and add a berry thing. I was going to ask Come if there was. I haven't yeah. seen one. I was they do have a mushroom, though. I, I okay. do put, okay. I put deer feeder. When I, when <laughs> <laughs> so I was out the other day picking picking morels, um, and came across a stellar uh, blackberry patch, and so I dropped a deer feeder button there. Naturally, so you know a lot of the times when you're out there in the woods, I remember as a kid, and you'd go out there with your first grade field trip, and it was you know everybody'd find these little tiny like red berries, and you know, the teachers like don't eat those, they're right. poisonous, whatever. How do you? How do you determine, you know, okay, that's that's not good. That's poisonous. That's So I've got a lot of field I, manuals. I've gotten to the point now where it seems like I feel like out of out of pure worry and just like over paranoia mm-hmm. from adults as a child, I just figure if I see a berry in the wild, I'm just like, Yeah, it's probably poisonous. Right. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna risk it. Um, that's what I was gonna ask, because I think that's like a big barrier to entry into getting into this is like, is that uncertainty? You're like, Man, yeah. that looks good. Like, it looks good. It's Like you said, it's vibrant. It's brightly colored. It looks delicious. Right. But, you know, is it going to put you to sleep permanently? There's, is it going to cause internal bleeding and massive hemorrhaging and diarrhea? And Yeah. There's not a lot in Wisconsin that will do that or the Midwest, but there are some. There are toxic berries out there. And, and so if you're thinking about doing this, you haven't done it before, uh, before going out in the woods and, like, getting a smattering of, of brightly colored berries, oh, yeah, buy, some, some buy some field manuals. Yeah. Um, they're not expensive. Most of them are... Are, are colored. They're like the ones that I use are really nice. They're they're by color of the berry hmm. in different stages. So like in the springtime when almost all the berries are green, you can look at that in green, and then you can go to your reds, and then your purples, and then your blacks, and Whoa. you and you can um, kind of decipher what you're looking at on there. And they go, they like 
have a picture of the plant in the stem structure, the leaf structure, the berry clusters, how they look. Um, they talk about toxicity. They talk about edibility. They describe whether it's a delicious or whether it's just an edible because there is a difference there. And so when I forage, right. like people ask me like, well, you must not grocery shop. And that's fairly ridiculous. When I'm out foraging, it's not like I'm I'm gathering food to sustain me through the course of the rest of the year. It's literally low-hanging fruit. It's things that I can gather a lot of quickly and easily, and that's tasty and delicious. I also don't eat jars of jam by the spoonful, but... Like uh, Eric is about to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, me I don't either. Yeah, do that either. Totally, why would anybody that's, do that? That is some phenomenal jam, by the way. I just tried the berry. I'm going to try the grape next. Yeah, the, the black cap, we call it, or the raspberry is really good. That is. Yeah, and it was a new recipe, too. I hadn't done that one before, and, and so that's... Um, I try to use like as little added sugar as possible. So I've been experimenting with different pectins used or not using pectin at all as an additive to the jams. Not and using it at all. Huh? Yeah. And so the raspberry is Granny like. Granny wouldn't like that. Is like how much can we boil this down until it like gels and solidifies. And the raspberry turned out really, really good. And when awesome. you, so there's quite a bit of work, like in addition to just, you know, yeah. you can just pick them and eat them, I'm sure, right? I yeah. mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's as simple as it gets. But there's, if you want to do some stuff with it, like this jam, I mean, that's quite a bit of work it's to time. then take it home. Yeah. And like you said, you're boiling stuff down. I mean, what other kind of supplies do you have to get? Because I'm sure it'll go, it'll dovetail into the maple syrup and stuff. But are you getting like big turkey fryer pots yep. and outdoor gas burners and stuff yeah. to do all this? So I have totes and totes and totes of, the little ball canning jars, lids, rings. I have canning equipment. Oh I have um, boiling. So good. I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt. <laughs> I have boiling equipment, and for a dude who doesn't like sweet, and to see Jimmy happy about that, I'm pretty happy about yeah. that. Wait I till, normally hate sweets. Wait till you have that. I know that's next. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it now, but I, I'm, it's gonna be all I can do not to talk about it. Right. To that, but but yeah, it, it is a lot of equipment, and and you know I I tend to go pretty big on it. I get really fanatical about berries, like as much as I would hunting. To me, it's as important for me to get out and gather berries and, and like things like grapes and berries and things like that, just as it is to hunt. Yeah. You do get super stoked about this season of, of time. Like yeah. I've noticed that, you know, usually most people are kind of like, well, it's spring. I guess we'll just kind of wait it out until fall comes around. But you're like, you're jacked, man. I've, you're driving all over the state. Yep. Well, talk about productive scouting too not, yeah. o- not only right. are you you know getting outside enjoying the outdoors picking berries and having that you know berries mushrooms whatever having that experience but i imagine you're gonna find some good deer trails along the way as well oh yeah turkeys gobble yep yeah no it, it it's uh what do you think of that jim yeah that was the rant butter we'll get to that in a bit but holy crap i could eat that thing straight yeah it is and, and it, it's really like i said it's as important to me to be out there looking for berries as it is to be out chasing whitetails or, or mule deer or antelope or turkeys or whatever. It's it's that exciting to me. It's that fulfilling to me. And it does. It When I, when you're in the off-season, you do come, in off-season to hunting, I should say, you do come across a tremendous amount of property that you would have otherwise ignored, possibly, until later in the year when you should have been out there in, you know, April, May, June, looking for deer sign, looking for rubs, looking for bedding areas, looking for feeding areas. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing... Which some of the stuff would be a feeding area for a deer. Yeah. Right? Oh, Maybe. yeah. I mean, I don't all, know. All of, it is, all of it is in places that I share with whitetails. Yeah. that That's a question I had. Like, yeah. do you find that certain terrain features or habitat features or soil moistures mm-hmm. are conducive to different, you yep. know, 
Yeah, definitely. So that lets me like come up with all these neat theories on why I find ramps somewhere and not somewhere else or where I find morels. Um, and like what kind of trees morels grow by, like the big one is elm. Yeah. Um, I didn't find any of these morels I found this year by any elm trees. Um, I know that elm trees, there is a correlation, right? Yeah. There's some kind of a weird magic voodoo Um, potion of, of the majority of the morels that I found this year was all shag bark hickories and cedar trees. Hmm. So do you find anything with the soil there? Like, I mean, I could be totally wrong. I don't know a lot about this at all, but like when I do find morels, it always seems that that soil is like a sponge. Yeah. Like really spongy, yep. kind of airy, moist. Yep. Like Are you P- finding the PD same loamy thing? Kind yeah, of thing? Yep. Yep, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But not too wet. Whereas ramps on the other hand, like my ramp spot, the ground is like almost saturated. Hmm. And I've got a ramp patch. I've got a couple of them that, that are just huge. They're like acres. Um, and both of them are like really interesting spots where everything just adds up and it shows up there. It is, it is pretty cool. It's very interesting. I don't know enough about soil composition right. or like pH or acidity. It'd be interesting to that, take a soil That's sample. what yeah. I was wondering, yeah. And, and that probably is like the next level that somebody who wants to become an adept forager takes in order to maybe like go look at a soil survey map um, and combine that with a topographical map and right. combine that with like a, a, a hardwoods uh, and you know forest density map and, and try to like plot where you would find a particular plant or fungus right based yeah. on that uh, there's there is no difference when you think about it that way um as you would like read a topo to figure yeah. out where a mule deer would be or yep. white yep. would be so i gotta say too like going hunting with you as well you know people talk about you know you see some people when they go hunting and they're sitting out there they're waiting around or you know in a midwestern hunt maybe you're sitting in a tree stand or not moving a whole lot waiting around for any deer to come by or to catch any sign of something, you know, some people will literally, well, take a nap. There's the old classic prairie nap, which uh, oh, we've all yeah, buddy. Uh, <laughs> done. I did a woods nap in Indiana the other day, uh, not the other day, but a couple weeks back with uh, when we were turkey hunting. Anyway. Glorious. A uh, good glorious woods nap. But, you know, some people bring like a book or other things like that, and if, mm-hmm. if that's what they're into, go for it. But Reading. the thing that I've always, the thing that I've <laughs> always appreciated is that when we're out with, with Ryan, all of a sudden, it's like everything in the woods is cool. Yeah. yeah. Like stuff I would have just walked by, I'm kind of like tree, tree, right. grass, generic plant. You know, he's like, oh, look, a plum thicket. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, like, look at this berry, you know, or whatever. And it's like when we were in, I remember we were in Nebraska, all of a sudden we found these like bright red berries that were like the only thing you could see in this just white tundra-esque looking area rose and then hips. you know it's like yeah rose what what were they hips rose hips rose hips yeah you ate one jim i did eat one and i because i asked him i was like this looks like something my first grade teacher on a field trip would have told me not to eat <laughs> right and he was like you were nope, supposed to dry to those though yeah you dry them you make a tea out of them but you can eat them as is oh yeah you it can't i thought they were toxic as is no not a rose hip. great that's super i am still here to tell of, you well i saw you eat it and i was like all right well and see you jim mark, mark, mark so, more deer for me mark got his classic nervous face <laughs> um, but uh, I would venture to guess that those are probably not on the. What did you say? There's Low like some fruit list. Uh, no, there are some that you said are edible, and some that oh, are oh yeah, not, delicious, not or something. delicious but edible. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just pretty bland. Yeah, but. and there's a lot of that that I bypass. So I'm not like supplementing my diet to a major level with a lot of stuff that I gather. Uh, rose hips would be one of those things. Like I think it's interesting enough that uh, every year I go out and I collect a, a, enough of them to eat some and be like, well, I mean, I guess you could if you had to make a go of it, but <laughs> they're not like, they're not on my to-do list. I remember we were talking about, I'm no expert when it comes to this, as with many things, as people already know, but uh, <laughs> high in vitamin C, if I recall, 
Yep. The rose hip you can make into tea. Mm-hmm. Is it doesn't add a lot of flavor to the tea though either? No. Okay. It just kind of is one of those like it's herbal thing. remedies it's, it's, yeah, or something. It's earthy. It's herbal. It's yeah. like it's like the um, elderberries too. I I really enjoy the taste of them in a tea, but. I think when people hear the word berry, you're like, oh, it's going to be this sweet, right? Um, you know, zing thing. It's, eh, no, it's kind of like a anisey, earthy, herbaly. Yeah. 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 It's good, good for though. you, though. Oh, it's probably yep. exceptionally good for you. A lot of this stuff we're talking about is probably good for you. Except for the ramp butter. We're literally eating, raw, you know, just sheer butter uh, spread on crackers right now. So That's it's, why it's so good. It's good for you, Ryan. Okay. I like it. Uh, so let's go going back to sweet things. Yeah. We'll kind of we'll also dovetail into like I saying the maple syrup or are there other syrups too? I'd have to imagine. Not right? that Maybe. I not that I really do. No, is maple There's, about it. Yeah, you can do birch. You can do the shag bark, which hmm. is is kind of a weird deal, but I focus primarily on maple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and okay, this question applies to I'm I'm like gonna back out of maple syrup for a bit, but we'll go back in. But I was gonna ask. Like, is spring the only time to do all this stuff? It seems like so many things are such a tight window where it's like morel hunting season, for example. It's, it's like, like two weeks. One day they're they're not there. The next day they're there. Yep. Then the next day you're like, oh, crap, morel season's over. Yep, right. And um, then, you know, like ramp season. You said that you could go somewhere and there's ramps as far as your eye can see, and then you could go back a week later and you would never know that they were correct. there. Correct, yep. So I haven't been to my patch in a couple of days. Um, and we've had some weather change. Uh, it's supposed to be 86 tomorrow. I'm not going to have time to get out there until, like, Sunday. I'm not going to be surprised if I get out there and there's none left. Really? really? Yeah, they just do that. They're just, woof, gone. Really? Yeah, they, once they flower, they just kind of disappear shortly thereafter a few days. And Can you tell by looking? Do they just kind of wilt and die then, or what? Yeah, they like, it's, like, it's like they just retract back into Can the ground. Can you tell by looking at the ground, like, oh, yeah, there were ramps there? No, or like, no. Seriously? No, once you get out there, um, it, it's gone. Like, there's no crazy. real remedy. No even sign. Not really. And now will that patch be there again next year? Yeah. Really? Yeah, no, hopefully it grows. Is, one, one of the patches was diminished. Um, I'm, I'm not going to state by over-harvesting because I don't know that to be absolutely the truth. Yeah. Uh, when I went out there, I was a little bit dismayed at the diminishment from the last yeah. year. Now, they did some logging back there, too, and they opened up the canopy a little bit. They cut down quite a bit of trees. They're, they're doing kind of a native tree restoration thing, so they got rid of some other trees in there. And, the, and that, like, introduction of light onto the understory is going to change the dynamic completely. Yeah. And so that could have been part of it. I did see some other stuff growing in that area that wasn't there last year as far as, like, a small green leafing plant. So it could just be that, too. I'm, I'm hoping it's not over-harvesting. It's interesting because it's, like, right on a major trail. Like, mm-hmm. people people run them over. And to, to see that there's that many of them there with that trail cutting through it makes me pretty happy that yeah. it's not being over-harvested. It's also, over-utilized. Yeah, it's also amazing that, like, so many people go by and don't even know. Oh, yeah, right. definitely. Yep. I bet that happens all the time with oh, this yeah. stuff. That's what I was going to ask. So for those who may not be familiar with the ramp, maybe why describe not, it. Why not explain it? Sure. Yeah, yeah what Because it is. I know that, too. So one of the other things, I, we'll get back to maple syrup, however it works. This is just random. <laughs> <laughs> who cares? Uh, but one of my other things was onions versus garlic versus ramp yep. versus that stuff. Cool. So we'll jump into ramps first because they're low-hanging fruit. And, and when you find a good patch of them, you usually find a good patch of them. So they're kind of related to onions, leeks, and garlics. Two, maybe three leaves coming out of the ground. Very, very delicate plant. Like when you handle them, they bruise very easily. They wilt. They tear. When you unearth them, you get a small bulb, probably the size of a marble is like the average. 
Mm. Uh, they can get a little bit bigger than that. I find them maybe like the size of a shooter marble. You know, very flavorful. Like you can tell the ramp butter is very strong. There's, oh, yeah. There's way less butter flavor than there's ramp flavor. And so per pound of butter, it's like maybe 15 ramps. Um, oh, it's, okay. It's like, yeah. So there, there's a lot of, you know, we'll call it heat to them. Um, or flavor to them. So they're, they're a super, super tasty treat. Um, kind of a combination between onion and garlic with like a little dab of horseradish. Yeah, I'm picking up on that. Yeah. I was going to, yeah, I was trying to pick up on what the other thing was in there, but definitely a mixture of onion and garlic. Yeah. Or like that taste to yep. it. Very, very tasty snack. Very, it's kind of one that I'm very hesitant when I harvest them because it's really easy to over harvest them huh. and they're super popular. And I think it's because they look cool. They're a very attractive plant, and I think that they look nice on a table and a cutting board. And yeah, and, and they're like uh, they're like the Welsh corgi of yeah, plants, man. And so and all of a sudden, that became the hipster dog to get, and people are overbreeding them. Like, right? I mean, they're certainly very delicious, and it's a problem. And so I, I take like minimal quantity when mm-hmm. I do it. Mm. And then, as far as edible nest, the mm-hmm. uh, the whole plant, whole the bulb. Yep. Everything. Yep. I cut the roots oh, even off. even the leaves? Yep. So the, that's where the green color comes from. Really? From, yeah. So otherwise, the ramp bulb itself is white, and then as it goes up the stem into the leaf portion that's above the ground, that kind of goes to a red and then green. So the green and the butter, that's where that comes from. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I usually, I'll, I'll take the leaves. Um, obviously, they get mixed into the ramp butter, but I'll also uh, dice them and, and use them as I would, well, even chopped onions. They still carry a ton of flavor or even a garnish. You can make a great pesto out of them. I dried them this year and made a powder. So ramp powder. Yep, correct. Um, that's a new one for me. I never did that before. Um, Are you using a dehydrator to do that? Yeah. Or just, yep, okay. Yep. Um, so they dehydrate really well. Uh, they've got. And a you're hyd- just using that like as a cooking accent. Yeah, just a just a seasoning to it, and it, it does add a ton of punch. So interesting. Yep. So like you would basil or chopped chives or something like that. You know, that's cool. Yeah. I can tell you uh, on one of my most delightful mornings in the great state of Wisconsin, went up to visit Ryan. It was springtime. We canoed around the Wisconsin River. Gosh, you guys have such a bromance. Just... Um, first off, we got there. We're going fishing. We got there very early. We just sipped coffee for a couple hours. <laughs> we did. And then we got in the canoe, and Ryan paddled me around while I cast a boot with my chartreuse crank. Yep. <laughs> Caught a trophy sauger. Nice sauger, too. Like, no joke, nice sauger. Really? Oh, man. And then we proceeded to go back to the house, and we had sauger, eggs, and fresh rams. And it was wow. fantastic. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like such a Ryan Muck and Hearn kind of day. It was. It was, dude. It was, it it was, was a great be- day. It was, one, it was one of the best dates I've ever had. I, <laughs> <laughs> I can absolutely see that being the case. It was grand. And how, how does that... So, how does that, because we've mentioned now onions and garlic yeah. too, how do they relate? Also, I think one thing's interesting, Mark, you remember when we posted, we posted like a picture of, oh, right. it was you yep. and me, and then we were out there with Trent Brenny and Eric, yep. turkey hunting in Indiana, mm-hmm. and uh, we thought we found a bunch of wild onions that we were eating. Ryan explained to me those are, that was actually garlic. Reading wild garlic, really? Which I've whatever they were. If you we hit the jackpot, yeah, yeah. Full full disclosure: up until I found that patch a couple weeks ago, my whole life I thought those were wild onions because they're like green shoot. They look just like it looks like a shallot. Correct. Yeah, it looks just like the green onions you get at the grocery store. Which apparently are those even garlic? No, those are onions. So here, here's the wild part. So when I found that, I found that by accident. I was out looking for mushrooms. 
and I looked down like through the woods and oh, I saw the smell of those. Yeah. Too. I was, yeah, I was a ways away. Um, I looked and I saw this like different colored green, like very not the same green as everything else in the understory. So I walked over them like, holy crap, it's wild onions. And, um, so I dug a few out. I knew they weren't ready yet. The bulbs were very small. And I went back to one of my field manuals because I wanted to see like, well, that's weird. I've been all over this woods over the past five years, like a dozen times a year looking for mushrooms and looking for ramps and, and sheds and things like this. I'd never seen them before. All of a sudden, bam, there's this huge proliferation of this plant. I thought, well, is this somebody's garden escape? Like, did somebody pitch, you know, a planter box out here for whatever reason? Yeah. And turn to that. Well, I'm going through there and I'm getting to like the onions, leeks, and garlics and I come across wild garlic and it it's wild garlic and you can differentiate the two by the stem uh, and or leaf, whatever you want to call it, uh, shape and structure. So the garlic is a tube, the onion is a leaf. And that blew my mind. Because my whole life, huh. every time I found it, I'm like, oh, look at that. It's wild onion. It's wild huh. garlic. So I did pick some the other day and I cooked it up. And by, yeah, it tastes like onion or garlic, kind of a mix between the two. Well, who knows anymore? Well, yeah, I was... It it's, was just like, <clears throat> it, it's just like my... Ten-year-old nephew went up to me the other day, and he goes, "Hey, you look at that towel over there. It's orange, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "What if orange to you is what green looks like to me, but we Yikes. both call it orange?" So it's like, what if people are tasting stuff, and it's like everybody just always told me, "Yeah, that's garlic," yep. but it's onion, and onion is garlic. Up is down. Who knows what is right. what? Anymore? What are we? What it's, is this? What I think it's life. There's no point yeah. to existence. It sounds like there's been a lot of foraging going on. It sounds yeah. like there's a lot. Of, yeah, dude. We didn't break yeah. out. There's no mushrooms in this room, folks. <laughs> but, oh, sorry, we got a lot of full mouths here. At the, Everybody went for that it at the same hard. time. I've recovered. Yeah. Um, you guys thought I was really going to go on my soapbox there, but I cut it short. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that was a cool one. Um, so, yeah, onions, garlics, leeks. There's a so lot of if them. those stayed there for a while, would they turn into like a, a garlic thing? Like you see the garlic, sort of the paper around it, you know, and you kind of split off it, the cloves in and a, stuff. In Is a form not, into? not as developed from what I read now, but turns out my whole life I've been harvesting them at the wrong time, thinking that they were onions. Um, let them mature a little bit, then harvest them. And yeah, they're somewhat cloved, but not to that degree. So remember in the domestication process over the course of however many centuries, that it took us to domesticate these wild berries. Like, for instance, look at the color of that raspberry jam. It's Ooh, almost yeah. like blackberry. Black. Yeah. Right. If you were to hold that raspberry in your hand and then hold like a, a you know, a store-bought raspberry, they have zero semblance to each other other than really? they're kind of shaped similarly. Huh. Right. Whereas your store-bought... See, that, that makes it even more confusing for your average Joe who goes out and finds them because they're like, what is this? Right. right. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, they're blackberries. Um, but we... In selective breeding in, in agriculture and in livestock and, and uh, animal husbandry, we, we breed for a trait, right? So I have to assume that when we were making garlic, because garlic's delicious, we bred for a trait. Like right. we crossed for this, we crossed for that. And you end up with this. The ones that get bigger and produce more garlic yeah. or better. Right. So go go to a, a garlic festival. I don't know if actually that's the thing out here. It is in my hometown. They, we have a big garlic festival. <laughs> Serious? Yeah. It's huge. People come from all over the country. But you can buy garlic seed, and there are hundreds and hundreds of varieties and garlics that are like burn your mouth hot and garlics that are like sweet potato sweet. Like Interesting. Yeah. It's just different. But Jason over there came in one time with black garlic. Okay. Have you ever heard of that? No. It it's was wild like ferment, it was like fermented garlic, and you're supposed to eat. Like I ate a whole clove of it, and yep. I was kind of like, "This is gonna kill me." And he was like, "No, trust me." And it was like sweet. It was like black licorice almost. Really, anyway. but uh, that that um, 
that's that on the the onions, leeks, and garlics. Great, great thing to forage if you cook a lot uh, and you need like a seasoning. So I obviously I make the ramp butter. I dry the leaves. I dry down and and chip um, the the bulbs themselves, just like you would buy like onion flakes. You know. Yeah. Can I ask a question about the ramp butter? Yo, is that literally just ramps and butter? That is Kerrygold butter and ramps. And you just you mince them in something? Uh, food processor. Food processor. Yep. So okay. blanch. So take the Kerrygold. Let it get. Oh, by the way, I learned this the hard way. Let it get. Soft, like room temperature for several hours. Soft. Would you try to chuck it in like a full-on brick of butter? It was. It was soft-ish, but it was definitely not soft. So it added. (laughs) It added a ton of time. And before, I never had a food processor. I was like, I'm not going to spend 110 dollars on a fancy blender. Yep, game changer. So before, did this by hand, like cut the ramps and do it using two ulus, and then mixing them together, mixing them together, mixing them together. Yeah, food processor makes short work of that. Uh, but blanch the ramps very quickly. Uh, it's like 15 to 20 ramps per pound of butter. Wait, sorry, what's blanch? Uh, boil really like f- like 15 seconds top. So take your product, in this case the ramps, drop it into boiling water, 15 seconds tops, take them out, put them into an ice bath. Huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and Was then- that do release a bunch of like the aroma or whatever or? It's supposed to help with the preservation of flavor and, and like, for long-term things and to break down some of the cellular structure of the plant so that it's not, like, this woody thing to eat. Um, Okay. Yeah. So it becomes, like, the texture consistency of, like, wilty spinach from a can. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, yep, just mix it up. And then I've got a little, uh, uh, I actually use an aero press, which is made for making coffee, but the tube and the little press part, I pack it full with a tablespoon uh, and then I extrude that out onto uh, wax paper, roll it, and freeze it. So I, I have like a little uh, third-pound log of. I've got a whole bunch of them now. A couple, couple. It is excellent. Yeah, it's Brilliant. really good. Brilliant. Um, and so if you're cooking with it, like you can spread it on a cracker. That's great. On bread, it's even better. Uh, and if you really want to win, you take ramp butter and antelope, and you baste the antelope on a high heat cast iron with the melted ramp butter. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's pretty much the greatest thing that's ever happened. There's something about, like, salt, pepper, and onion and or garlic slash ramp, which I haven't had enough of, where it's like that's all. It's about all you need. Yep. Right. Yeah, anything more than that, we're trying pretty hard. Everything everything in the world tastes good with salt and pepper and, like, garlic slash onion slash both. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So you mentioned one thing, too, real quick when we were talking about ramps. Too many people just go through and they just snip oh, the leaves off the top. Very, very um, interesting thing. So I'm, I'm torn. Like I'm at this juxtaposition where it's very exciting to see people acknowledging that the world has a ton to offer you, like in the woods. Like go spend time in it. You can make a crack at it. Uh, and it's a great place. And then people trying to capitalize on that. And so there's a lot of farmer's markets around here and and posted on one of the foraging groups that I belong to was a picture of a, a young lady who had gone down to the farmer's market and picked up some, quote, wild ramp. Um, she was wandering some, some recipes and some preparations. And what she had purchased for an exorbitant amount of money was simply the top leaves of the ramp. Effectively missing the best part. Oh, yeah. It's- yeah. So my assumption is that the individual selling them found out they were worth some kind of money, went out, found a patch of them, and 
either took a scissors to them or just ripped them out of the ground, not extracting the bulb, and literally sold her the leaves. And so for, for that, that half of me that's like, wow, we should really have some education when it comes along with how to sustainably harvest in the woods so that one, we don't damage the crop and it's there next year. So other people can enjoy it and it continues to proliferate. And two, we don't capitalize on a resource like that because it's not permatized. It's not something that you have to buy a stamp for. You don't have to have a license for. Right. There's no limit. No. Whereas, you know, if I want to go catch a fish, a sunfish in Wisconsin, you have to pay several dollars to have a, a stamp. And, and, we don't have that with wild forage. There's actually a conversation I was having yesterday with uh, one of the coworkers. You can't sell wild game. I was um, just going to bring right? that up. Mm-hmm. But, but you can sell wild oh, forage. Yep. And, shoot, never thought of it and, that way. And uh, to me, I, I don't really know what the difference is. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm not sure I see the difference. No, I don't at all. You know, if you go on on Facebook Marketplace right now and you just type in morel, yep. and you're in our region, 30, 30 bucks a pound is what it's going for. And that doesn't happen with ducks. You can't go buy ducks from somebody. You can't go buy geese from somebody. You can't go buy deer from somebody. You end up in, in jail right. um, and get fined a, a considerable amount. But but we're allowed to with with foraged um, you know foraged goods like mushrooms and like ramps and things. And so I think there you know it's got to be treated very very carefully because it can get decimated. Like mm-hmm. you can have a ramp patch. Um, and I've seen it before back home where I've got this great patch and somebody gets into it and they take it all and it never comes back. Or it takes decades for it to come. And it's back. like, what are they going to need to do with all that stuff? Because you, you said you take pretty minimal amounts. Try and try and leave I, know, for the fu- for looking ahead for the future. Yeah. and you wind up having enough ramps for ever, right? For like the whole rest of the year until yeah. the next time, right? Correct. Like how many? How much? How many ramps would you say that it takes? Or how many of like I don't know berries or other stuff? Does it take for you to last the whole year? So with ramps, I can tell you uh, it was two grocery bags full this year. So really? prob- like two plastic yep. grocery bags or something? Correct. And, and that's- how long did that take you to accumulate all that? 15 minutes a bag. Really? Yep. So you can see where if somebody was looking to make a buck at a farmer's market, yeah. they could make a couple hundred I'm dollars. I'm actually like shocked. How much was there total? Like probably oh. like hundreds of grocery bags. Yeah. Thousands. Yes. Easily. Yeah. Tons. But it's a delicate, it's a delicate thing. So, you know, and that's just kind of a weird deal. I said, I'm, I'm like, I said, I'm slightly juxtaposed. I really like it that people are going out and doing it. I'm seeing right. more people doing it. I'm seeing, I'm seeing these groups pop up where it's people that have never left the city and they're discovering the phenomenalness that is the outside world, right. and they're doing it through foraging. Right. Well, and what a nice introduction too. I mean, yeah. those, those are right. possibly future hunters too. Yeah, exactly. Like, wait a minute, or, right. or at the at the very least, just conservationists. Conservationists. Yeah. 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 You know, now exactly. now they take true pride and ownership in that that mm-hmm. area that they're into. You know, so and and you know, not everybody is that like not everybody's a good egg, but a lot of them that maybe over harvest an area. They're not necessarily doing it on purpose. No, certainly yeah. not. It, a lot of it, like you said, is just education where they're like they just don't know. Right. And they right. just think like, well, if I pick them all, they'll probably come back. Right. right? I'm actually shocked that a person who essentially you're, you're selling those things commercially, mm-hmm. that there's not some kind of some regulation. sort of regulation, permitization. It is interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I, I mean, think about that. This. Think about that from a, a deer, or like you said, a, a duck or fish. Like think about if someone was just out shooting deer and profiting tenfold on those deer. Right. Yeah. You know, like that would never last. Yeah, no. and the other thing is too is they paid to shoot that deer. Right. Right. Well, unless they poached it. We, but we tried it. 
it didn't work. Right. Now, now we have a new system. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work to the point that we almost lost shut her everything. Down. The wood duck was almost gone. Yeah. The canvas backs were almost gone. You know, so yeah, you know, just if you're thinking about getting into foraging, just literally you know, food for thought. Yeah, right. Be responsible. Yeah. You know, and it, it is you do get into this almost frantic mode where you're like, wow, I got to get it all because I'm going to eat through it all. And like I said, I'm not supplementing my di- or I'm not foraging to feed myself. Like it's a candy, it's a treat. Yeah. You know, so right. That's why we then evolved into gardeners, right? That's why we started agriculture because mm-hmm. it wasn't sustainable on that sense. So we had to, you know, make food plots for ourselves basically. But you garden yeah. too, right? I do, yeah. Human um plots. <laughs> you, you, you get you get a lot of more out of gardening, I think. Um yeah. except for mushrooms. I don't grow mushrooms yet. I'm talking about it though. Really? So, yeah. Shiitake plugging. How do you go about growing do you mushrooms? Plant them like a seed. Like, yeah, oh, here you go, little yeah. mushroom grow. So you take a uh, take a hardwood. A lot of folks use oak, from what I understand, and I know very little about mycology, so don't don't quote me if it's not oak. Um, soak the oak, uh, drill a hole in it, um, and you buy these neat little plug kits. I think most of them um, are 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 from Japan and, and some domestically, and then you plug the holes in these logs that you've soaked. Keep it in a cool damp place, your basement or in the woods, and pretty soon you have shiitakes blossoming out of this wow. thing. And if you guys want to see some cool, hop on hop on the Google machine and type in shiitake mushroom farm. And you'll see these beautiful, what look like like Lincoln log structures of hardwoods blossoming with shiitakes. And I think a shiitake is one of the best mushroom out there or mushrooms out there. So I'm 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 thinking about doing that. Commercialization or not commercialization, but like the domestication of the morel is something that has been happening quite a bit lately. Guys are starting to figure it out. Scientists are getting on board. A lot of the folks over in Asia have kind of reportedly mastered the growth of the morel. Really? Yeah, it's wild to see them like growing fields of morels, so to speak. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. For so long. You couldn't. Like, impossible. Yeah. I was on or my, like it's not figured out. I was on my phone looking up the quote from The Departed because I wanted to find it because wow. I could say, you know, feds are like, Mushrooms, feed them shit and keep them in the dark. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's unreal. That's how you grow them. Yep. That is interesting. But we, but we digress. Like at that point in time, yeah, I have a garden. I grow like potatoes and and peppers. And I wanted to tell, I wanted you to talk about how you grow potatoes. Super oh, interesting. About potato towers. Yeah, potato towers. Oh yeah. So, um, pretty strapped for space. I live in a pretty small little box. Mark's been there. It's I got to stay three feet away from the walls. It's quaint. Um. You know, because it's like an A-frame. So, uh, potato tower. Uh, take yourself. You can use a, a tall laundry basket if you if you really want to be cool. But uh, I think chicken wire works better. Make a, a kind of a tower out of it. If that makes sense. Roll your chicken wire up until it's a, a column, and then uh, layer of dirt, layer of uh, straw, and then potato cuttings in there. Layer of when dirt. When you say layers. potato cuttings, you're literally talking about like take like it, slices of potatoes. Go to your store. Go buy your potatoes. You can buy seed potatoes, too, and they're a lot better for doing this. But you can take a potato and you can cut it in quarters and then put it in a bag and let it um, scar, if you will, or, like, it kind of gets a rind on it. Okay. And put that in the ground. And if there's, like, the little eye on the potato part on the outside, boop, you got a potato plant. What's the eye? What are you talking about there? You know when your potatoes are under your sink for a long time and they get, like, the the growths, the nodules? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That. That? That. That becomes wow. a potato. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so over time, uh, like the course of you know weeks and weeks going through summer and into early fall, 
your potato tower, this this structure that you've erected out of chicken wire, has all these like branches coming out of it. Uh, and then at the end of the year, you kick it over and you sift through the dirt and you pick out the. You potatoes. said that you you like layer it though. Yeah. Right? So yep. you'll do like what do you, dirt straw, dirt, straw potato dirt. things. Yep. Dirt straw potato things. Dirt yep. straw potato things. And then you'll just stack it as high as it'll go. And then yep. by the end of the year, you just there's just a bunch Got of potatoes. Got a bunch in there. of spuds, man. How big are they? Um, they don't really get that big. Kind of like the little baby russet yeah. ones or something like that. Little fellas, like fifty cent piece or smaller, but they you can just make a ton of them. Oh you yeah, know? yeah. So if you're gonna grow like big potatoes, you put them in the ground. But yeah, I don't yeah. have the space, so gotcha. I don't do that. But I dig the potato towers. I think they're awesome. Right. I had it on my uh, mark. I came into this one with notes. I know. I saw See that. This thing? Made me nervous. I know. It's weird. Do you, you? I would assume that you probably think we you discussed it almost a little bit. Foraging is more fun than gardening. Yeah, but, but way gardening more gardening is just more productive. Way more productive. Okay. Yeah. For certain things, though, like take berries, for example, and I'll pick on mulberries because mulberries are like probably the easiest thing to forage. And if you're in Wisconsin, um, you might not even know that mulberries are a thing um, or that they're even edible. But coming up here pretty quick, usually around mid to late June, I'd have to look back and, and look at my records and see when they start popping Mulberry berries, a bush or a tree, they can get pretty big. Um, and there's two kinds of Wisconsin. We have whites, we have reds. Uh, I hear that they're the same thing, only different. I prefer the reds. They look like raspberries and blackberries. Yep, from trees. The but white, they're like really long. Correct. The white ones look like maggots. Um, so here's, Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> the, white, the white ones are kind of creamier. So here's with, with those, you find yourself a good mulberry, and they're not held onto the tree very hard. They're, they're very, like... Lightly attached. Oh, they do look like maggots. I've had these before, and they yeah. are good. Oh, wow. They are yep. good. And so get a tarp. So I take like a, an 8 by 10 I put it under the tree, and I shake the tree like an ape as hard as I can. And then there's like a 1,000 berries on my tarp, and then I put them into a bucket. They require almost no effort at all. They're, they're like a, a low yield when it comes to taste. They don't have a ton of like... That's overwhelming flavor. So that's what yeah. I was going to ask, because you turned yeah. me on to the mulberries. found a bunch of trees close to my house. Mm-hmm. They're pretty common, once you know what to look for. Uh, picked them, ate them, uh, made some mulberry milkshakes, just, you know, put them in the old blender with some ice Fun cream. Fun colors, for sure. Oh, they look phenomenal. Yep. Not a lot of taste. Not, not a lot going on there, but they make a great jelly, jam, and pie, and addition, um, get a lot of rhubarb. So is like the key a, to add some sugar then? Yeah, kind of. You got to sweet them up. Uh, lemon juice is all good too. But I do like I've got a mulberry jam that's just just, just mulberries. Um, okay, it, it's good. I like it. I think it's it's a lot more subtle than like a raspberry or a blackberry or a dewberry or whatever. But it's mm. very good. It's it's got a nice consistency. It's a, it's a fun flavor. And Appreciate it, it for what it is. Yeah, for me, a lot of this is like anytime I eat something that I harvest when I'm hunting, like the. Uh, I get a little weird on this, like the first bite of the first wild game animal I take of the year, whether it's a spring turkey or whether it's a, a grouse or a duck or a deer or whatever, is like the most emotionally overwhelming meal for Agreed. that year of me. And I get the same thing when it comes to berries. And so when mulberries are ready to drop or pick or whatever, I get pretty excited. I eat them by the handful. It just represents something yep. that's very special. Now, when so, you shake a tree like an ape and you basically then are dropping thousands of berries. Yeah. Are berries kind of different than ramps in that regard? Where it's like, can you overharvest berries? Like, where you because the tree's going to produce berries every year, right? Right. I mean, it's not like you're literally removing the tree from the ground and then taking the berries. Right. Away. I mean, if we really shake it down, technically, yeah, you could. So let's say you had one raspberry plant. 
okay? And like that was your singular raspberry plant. So one sock growing on the ground, you pick all the berries off it, you've removed its means to seed nearby and proliferate as a species. Now that plant could go on and live for a long time if it gets proper nutrients and uh, doesn't get mowed over or whatever, but it'll only be that plant until it seeds and another plant grows. I see. Yeah. It seems like it'd be almost difficult to do though, because yeah, unless you, I mean, if you're hitting that same spot like daily, but whenever you go, like even the mulberry trees, like you go, these ones are ripe today. The trees gonna keep tomorrow. Growing. Some more yeah. are ripe, you know. Okay. So, so gotcha. let's say you got them all, you would only have that plant. It could like you could never grow new plants because it didn't have a means to seed. Hmm. But I, I don't think that's like logical. I don't. You'd have to really. I'm following you. Yeah. All right. It's funny, you know, hearing you talk about like that first wild game of the season there. And it is so special. When I was up, I was recently up in uh, southeast Alaska chasing bears with some really good friends and awesome media guys. Rob Inslee, Outdoor Line Radio. Uh, he also, uh, Prince of Wales Sport Fishing mm-hmm. up on, on, on Prince of Wales. But we caught some kings. And for really everybody, it was like their first, you know, fresh salmon meal of the year. And just all those guys, like it was almost like everybody brought it up. You know, almost yeah. like yeah. individually, like, oh, wow, this is, and you could just sense the specialness for everybody. And it's just, it, I don't know, just kind of an interesting, not concept, but no, a phenomenon, but yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's, uh, I think for me, it's like, if I'm getting into this work, it's kind of weird and hippie. Um, I believe that some people are like biologically destined to be hunters and gatherers. Like it is ingrained in their DNA and that is what they do. And they have like a calling that every fall, like they go into this manic mode of start consuming calories as fast as you can because the winter's coming. And so we, we, we set out a field and we try to hunt and pursue things. And the same thing exists for me with foraging, but it's in your head. Like you've now just survived when you've had that first meal. Like you've just mm-hmm. got to that point where like, Oh, like, like everybody I think has it in them. It just didn't yeah. ask yeah. it turned right. on, yep. right. you know, cause like, like you just for many to- years for me, it was like fall came and it was like, okay, sports. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, sports are done. I guess now I'm like, you know, didn't go pro. Sorry, guys. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but then you're like, oh, now I got to do something in the fall. And then it's like falls on. It's like now I got to go hunting. Yep. Right. Oh, you get that butter, That's Rick. A good, you that's get a good that problem. butter. Let's talk about, should we talk about shrooms now? I can talk about shrooms. Or we could, I mean, I guess we've covered a lot of things, but I was going to say right now, or we can even talk seasons. Because there's a lot going on right now. We kind of, morels are still Probably going to be done. We got pretty lucky. They kind of bumped us a couple of weeks because we've had very cool weather yeah, and a spring. lot of moisture. Like, uh, Scotty. Tons, tons of rain, never really got that odd. Right. Scotty, who's been on the podcast before, he brought in a morel that oh his wife gosh. found last night. It's like 11 and a half inches long. Jeez. Like, that thing, that thing should have been done two weeks ago. Yeah. So, we've had a really cool morel year in, in Wisconsin. And that we've got lucky. It's been extended. I think it extended the ramp seasons, too. Like, they didn't get burned mm-hmm. off. They didn't get too hot, so they didn't die. There's a lot of fungus left. Like, there's a whole summer and fall worth of fungus because there are some mushrooms that don't start until later in the summer. What would be some common ones that, common Ryan, ones, Ryan edible, has, easy to identify? Ryan has one he thinks are better than morels. Oh, I like I, yeah. hey, oh. So, and I think that's, you know, particularly mushrooms. Yeah. I think mushrooms and berries, you know, I mean... There's a lot of mushrooms out there. Oh, yeah. Obviously, not all of them you can eat. What are, what are ones that, I think that's part of the beauty of the morel. Like, you look at a morel, you're like, 
Not too many look like that one. Right. I know what that one is. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely um, true. What true. are what, you know the pheasant backs? Aside from false morels, they kind of look like morels, and they can make internal bleeding and diarrhea. Yeah, not thing. good. Yeah, so morels like iconic mushroom. Everybody who's like in, especially in the Midwest and and out into like the American West where they grow in in big numbers knows what they are. They're like a super coveted treat. Really good mushroom. I think they're tasty. I don't think they're that great. I don't. They're like I don't do backflips over them. I love chasing them. Get I was gonna bring. Torches. Yeah, get the pitchforks. I was gonna bring that up though because yep. when we're talking about if we are ultimately able to basically commercial crop these things, what is that, a lot of their specialness gonna go? Away? I think so. I think if you could go down to the store and you could buy morels like you could buy creminis or you could buy them like baby yeah. bellas, they just become another thing. Yeah. You know, and I do think they're pretty good. I'm going to say that they are. They're they're they're, del- they're a delicious mushroom. I personally believe there are there are better mushrooms. Like from a flavor texture, I will, I will believe you there. Okay, I do think they're pretty good. But they're like they're neat to look at, and when you find them, it's like you found a little forest creature that you've read about. Oh, they're just treasures. They're like yeah. a little. They're like a, they remind me of like a little troll. Yeah, out man. In the woods. And it, there's like something romantic about going out and like peeking under May apples and like, yeah. oh my god, there's one. Yeah. They're like their own ecosystem. Right. That's yeah. exactly where Eric, when we were hunting turkeys last week, he found one in a in amongst the May yeah. apples. Hell of a spot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then of course there's the the uh, false morels. Yep. They're Don't. out. They're just out in the open. Yep. They're, they're like confidence uh, builder. They're like, like, oh yeah, dude. Well, it's like red light district when you wind up in there. They're all <laughs> they're all flaunting their their stuff, looking like morels a little bit, and you're all in there trying to you know you're ogling them up and then I'm trying to resist, but you can't. Right. Right. <laughs> so. This time of year, if you're in our if you're in our, our area uh, or, or in a similar band of latitude or growing periods and areas, uh, also on the on the roster is oysters. I really love oysters. Oysters are a great mushroom. The yellow ones uh, are a non-native; they're technically an invasive. The brown ones, I think, are just normal. They grow in the woods. Um, another mu- mushroom that's been cultivated and domesticated. Uh, so there's a lot of them that you can go to the store. You can go to, you know, like Woodman's or Metcalf's downtown. You can go pick them up if you want. But they're fun to, to chase down and hunt, I guess. You can see them. I use binoculars when I hunt for oysters. So Where do they grow? Uh, on on dead trees. Uh, a lot of times still standing dead trees. Okay. You know, not not in the dirt. I've not I've not found them in the dirt like a chanterelle. Like you'll find mm-hmm. the chanterelle in, in the in the dirt or on the understory in the leaves. But the oysters are great. You get a ton of them when you get them. Usually it's like the size of a volleyball to a basketball or bigger. You get like pounds of them at a go. Mm. Um, they're very tasty, very flavorful. I like their texture. They're good sautéed. They're good chopped. They're good in a soup. They're good everywhere. Um, dry them, reconstitute them, blanch them, freeze them. Um, fry them, freeze them, whatever. They're they're awesome. Any um, special cleaning? In minimal. So if you get them wet, they kind of wilt. Hmm. So oh, yeah, you want to be careful with yeah. that, right? So they get really slimy if you get them wet. So I don't. Which is weird because they they're fungus. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they um, get rained on. Right. Yeah. So when you look at them, like I, I nip them off of their you know their anchor point on the the piece of wood that they're on, and then I inspect them for bugs. And dirt, and I'll brush that away, and then usually just tear them off in, in clumps, and then fry them or dry them or whatever. Uh, minimal cleaning, like I don't rinse them. See, when you're getting when you're getting that little bit of dirt in your food and whatnot, that's, good for that's you. all. Yeah, that's good for you. Yeah. That's that's building up those antibodies for yep. when World War Z comes around, where the people will be uh, not infected. All the minerals. So yeah. so be careful with oysters. Though one look alike, it's called jack lantern. 
dang it. God, there, um, there's always a lookalike. Now, now I gotta look it up. And, and it's it's a fairly different oyster. When in doubt, put it in the dark. Jack o' lanterns glow. Oysters do Yikes. not. Wait. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds fun though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a fun activity, kids. <laughs> Don't eat jack o' lantern mushrooms. Wait, um, what is that gonna do? Internal bleeding and all the false morale stuff. I, I don't know what happens with jack o' lanterns, but I know they're toxic. So I, I don't know if you end up. Um, gosh, they look toxic. It looks like somebody like dropped a ball of dough on accident and it like has just been rising in the corner of the greasy kitchen for a long time. Is that what they look like? Yeah, that's jack-o'-lanterns. So pull up the oyster. I want to see it All in right, the yeah, dark. Hold on. We're going to bring up the oyster here. Specifically the oyster, golden. Oyster, mushroom, golden. They do... It, Ryan sent me a photo of these things and they do kind of tend to... Like, okay, they some sometimes they look a little fluty and sometimes they look a little like... Bali. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a cluster. It's Fluvian Bali. I don't even know what this is growing on. It's like growing on like so a, that's on like a milk carton. Actually, yeah, probably. How does that happen? So that's a commercially grown one. Oh, it's a commercially grown one. Yep. Okay, I see. I gotta find one that's wild grown. Would so that they be they're, they're kind of that... like they kind of come up and they they make like uh look like something you'd see under the sea, mm-hmm. like in an anemone. What is the timing on those? So from now until September. Serious, just like all summer. Yep. That's pretty cool. What other mushrooms are there are out there, Ryan? Chicken of the woods. Which oh, is, yeah, that's right. Chicken of the woods. That it's, thing's gnarly looking. It can be. So the one I, I found a really good one last weekend, but we, we have a ton of rain, so it became hypersaturated and, and grew quite bulbous. Um, usually they don't look like that. They look more kind of like the traditional polypore would be kind of fanned out. It's not a polypore. They're kind but, of flat-ish, Yeah, right? flattish, kind of bumpy looking. I was going up when I made that characterization of gnarly looking. I was going off the one that you sent me because yeah, my which was reply back looking. was, what is that? Yeah, correct. It looked like <laughs> it looked like an asteroid, uh, like something that would have come from Mars or the sun or something. And uh, amazing, amazing mushroom, very delicious, a lot of moisture. You kind of got to cook them for a while, especially if they're wet like that. Uh, great mushroom, really vibrant looking. Uh, there's a couple lookalikes, but not... Did they get their name because they taste like they chicken? They taste like chicken. They have a texture very similar to chicken. Um, oh, seriously? So, like, yeah. they're not, like, some mushrooms, you bite into them and it just kind of, like, falls apart, you <clears throat> yeah. know? Yeah, almost. Those are, like, chicken. Like they, Yeah, they've got a little more, they've got a little more resistance to them, if okay. you will. So, <laughs> Rick is just. This is amazing. Eating. Have you said anything yet, Rick? <laughs> hey, guys, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. There's a lot of, like, little. Like pheasant backs, pheasant backs. Everybody's picking pheasant backs because that's like really low hanging fruit. That's what I sent you that one. That's what I sent you that one time, and yep. you were like, "Meh." They're, yeah, they're not that good. I wanted too. to pick a mushroom really bad. Here's what I like, like about them. You look at them. There's nothing like them. You can tell what yeah, it is. Pheasant back. Did Definitely. you eat it, Jimmy? No, Describe, I didn't so even what, pick it because Ryan told me it wasn't even worth the. What's like, to like or not like? Fit walk. Okay, so pheasant backs—they're probably my favorite mushroom yeah, to take pictures picture of. It. It because it's a they're gigantic very, mushroom. They're beautiful. Yeah, they're lovely looking. They also called them dryad saddles. Um, dryad being the uh, mythical forest, you know. Oh, it, I, the pheasant backs I found were growing next to a runover badger. Oh, nice. Gee, um, which was unfortunate. That's very spiritual or something. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Yeah. So it's a it's a signifies the Badgers football season. Anyways, <laughs> jeez, Rick, it's a it's a mushroom that uh, I think a lot of people pick because you hear you, you can eat it, but it's not really that great. They taste kind of like cucumber, which is very strange because it's yeah, weird. They don't look anything like they would taste like. That. Yeah, but they you, smell like cucumbers yeah, too. Yeah. So the trick with with the pheasant backs that I found is if you get a pheasant back, size has no dictation on whether this is going to be a palatable mushroom or not. 
intuitively we think a very large one would be very old and ergo right. then not good. Yep. Yeah. Whereas small ones you would think would be tender and delicious. Oh, like the veal of mushrooms. Yeah, not the case. So some of the best pheasantbacks I've had have been like the size of dinner plates or larger. Yeah. And so I take them, if I'm going to prepare them, and I give them a little bend. If they snap, they're good to go. If they bend and they're rubbery, not worth it. If, you, if you're adamant about trying them, slice them very thin, quick sear. Like I said, they kind of got like a cucumber-ish taste to them. What I want to do is- salt or pepper on them or just yeah, yeah, salt, butter? Yeah, salt, pepper, butter. Um, I like to put like a fruity balsamic on it. We've got this great place to the north of us in a town called Baraboo that sells amazing balsamics. Um, and I like to put that on there. That's fun. But I, what I want to do is I want to get a bunch of pheasant backs. I want to dry them and powder them. And I want to do something with mushroom powder. I have no idea what, but I want to do something. man? Like, I had a whole freaking tree right there. Oh, they're, they're everywhere. They're, seasoned with dead badger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little weird. All right. How so about they snap. No, we're talking to snap kind of like a... Like the bottom of an asparagus when you yeah, snap that kind off. Of. Well, I mean, if you were to go buy like a large Bella cap, yeah, and you like they break apart, right? Okay, right. Like, like styrofoam snaps. Okay, yeah. Hmm. Best way I can describe. So, that. like, there's there's not a lot of dexterity there. Just like it's either snapping or it's bending. Gotcha. I enjoyed the one time that you found an elf cup. Yeah, elf cups. Those are edible. Are they good? Um, these kind of taste like a mushroom. <laughs> They're just kind of, but it's a really cool mushroom to Very find. Very cool looking mushroom, yeah. Because they just like cool. they just like die if you look at them. Yep, pretty much. Most of the cups. Um, and urns you can eat. So there's a whole bunch of those when you look at them. They're all very similar mushrooms in structure, very delicate, very attractive addition to a dish, but I don't know that they're necessarily worth going out for the flavor aspect. Whereas, like, I will absolutely go out and look for morels, or I will absolutely go out and look for oysters or chickens uh, or hen of the woods, which is a different fall-time mushroom, different than chicken. Yeah, so elf but you cups. You have to be real careful when you're digging out the elf cup. Like that was part of the lure of it. It's so delicate. Yeah, like you, like you can't even. You got to like go up to the elf cup, not looking at it, or else it'll see you looking right. at it and Startles. it'll just die. Yeah, you that's can't. not. what I just looked up a picture. Very vibrant oh, in yeah. color. Super yeah. cool. That was one, or that is one. If I were to see that in the woods, I'd be like, stay, right, it's stay like away poisonous from that. frogs. Yeah, exactly. you know? <laughs> yeah. like a poisonous frog. Do not lick it. Maybe tip your arrow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But they are, yeah, you found that one, and, and yeah. you're saying how they, like, they tend to shrivel up. They don't, they're very delicate. Would that be something you'd, if you, maybe you had a, a means to, like, cook it very quickly after yeah, I'm foraging sure. it? Or, sure or it could just be good. don't even bother? Yeah, I mean, for me, I just let them go. They're very pretty. So for the elves. Yeah. I very much enjoy looking at them. <laughs> Shrooms, though. Cool stuff. Those are the big ones uh, for mushrooms. You can get a lot of a lot of yield out of that. So yeah. um, look for your oysters. Look for your morels, of course. Look for your chickens and your hens. Uh, they're very flavorful. They're very delicious. They go well with a lot of things. And they're fun to harvest. It's a smart thing to get one of those field books oh, you talked about definitely. before yeah. you go out yep. and start plucking everything. Because yeah. I remember, man, I was hot on the case of those false morels that I kept sending you pictures of. Yep. Because I was and like, look like at this thing, man. And you were like, oh, man. Or, cause I, no, I didn't send any pictures CD service yet. area. Couldn't yeah. get service. So I'm like, yeah, oh, so I'm like, dude, these things, they're like orange. They're coming out of the ground. And he's like, oh, it could be chickens. And I was just like, <gasps> and then he was like, maybe they're chanterelles. And I was like, <gasps> and then it was like, well, maybe they're there. And then I'd send him a picture. And he's like, false morels will result in internal hemorrhaging, diarrhea, upset abdomen, and just don't eat. Yeah, you do not, do not eat. eat. Yeah. Now, what about... Let's say you do come across, and maybe this applies to all mushrooms, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. 
as far as preservation. Mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about drying mm -hmm. powders. I know one time we got, oh, it's criminal, we got into the chanterelles heavy back in Washington one day, and we froze them. Side note, chanterelle might be the king of the mushrooms. Well, were you talking about like flavor or what? Oh, that's a good mushroom. We got into like the mother look. Like I've never seen a year like it. We actually quit deer hunting for the day and just picked mushrooms. But we wow. froze them, and I feel like it ruined them. It does. Yeah, Mark if you quit deer hunting to get mushrooms, yes. So that must have been yeah. When crazy. you would when you would thaw those, they'd be like they'd be pretty squishy. Yeah, um, really, they weren't yeah. good. So is is dry? If you're gonna try and preserve for later. I guess, Drive. what's the... Drive. What a mushroom. Look at that thing. Gorgeous, aren't they? They look like a beautiful trumpet emitting My from the gosh, forest floor. gosh, it looks like something that, yeah, like... You expect see to see in Fantasia. Exactly. Look at that beautiful mushroom. Very yep. golden the in color. The Palominos of mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, yeah, drying, I really like drying because you can... They reconstitute and they get kind of a chewy texture to them. And I really like that. I, you know, I like mushrooms in general. But some Dehydrator people, or... Yep. How do you reconstitute Oven a rack, mushroom? What do you, you just dunk you, it in water? Yeah, you can do that. You can put them in a pan on low or medium heat with water and just kind of let them soak back up. Or huh. um, like the other day I put, uh, what did I do? Well, I had those chicken of the woods. I had some ramps. I had some dried morels. I added them all together. A little bit of olive oil on there and a little bit of balsamic and, and some butter. And like the juices from all of those things swirling together reconstituted my morels to this point of chewy but not like rubbery right like it just had like the perfect amount of give when you bit into it but but you didn't like just dissolve it in your mouth nice. so yeah it was really good then that's what i like to do with mushrooms dry them if you can how are you drying them though dehydrator dehydrator yep okay. so i dry them till they're dry and then i put them in a ball jar and and uh okay preserve them and then like i said you can with oysters if you saute them first and then freeze them they're perfect so, Interesting. Yeah, light saute. Just cook them and freeze them, and they reconstitute well. Because think of like all the things, like a piece of pizza that had cooked mushrooms on it. You heat that back up. Hey, it's good to go, right? You still get all the best parts about the mushroom, and you're you're reheating it. So just Mark doesn't reheat anything, right? Not a big reheater. No, he just eats cold. He does. It's weird. Yeah, he's got kids, you know, so they he's got to eat when he can. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what I like to do with those. Can we talk maple syrup now? Well, okay. I was trying to segue into asparagus really quick, just because it's Fine, timely. Do it, okay? Yes, do it, because you can find asparagus growing in a ditch, right? Yep. All last night, found Which a I good, think you did good pound last night. Really? Yep. Does it look just like it does in the grocery store, just that coming is, up out of the ground? Yeah, it gets a lot bigger a lot of times out out here, so it's feral. I don't think that like asparagus grows around here by itself. Like it's an escapee from somebody's right. Garden. And however many generations and centuries ago that might have been, so be it. Obviously very good. Tastes like asparagus. But, yeah, you get some monsters. What's the proper nice. way to pick it? So, ideally, you find them before they leaf out. Although, yeah. I don't really mind them when they're leafed out, so long as they're still tender. And then the little offshoots can be really good, too. But I grab it at the top, and then I bend it over, and I kind of, like, roll it down on itself until it snaps. Yep. And at the point at which it snaps is the point in which it's tender. So, beyond that, it's kind of woody and chewy. When I buy asparagus at the store, I do, you do the, the same, same thing. thing. Yep. You bring it home, and you kind of fold them Snaps it off. Just finds yep. that natural point yep. and yep. Oh, I pop. just no snip off. Oh, oh, it'll break where it's supposed to break, Jim. Yep. And let, let the asparagus tell you. Correct. Where it I just to take break. a knife and just cut the whole bushel like where the white stops. And that's fine. It's probably fine because that's like commercially grown asparagus and it's very tender at that size. But yeah. when you get out into some of the stuff, like some of the stuff that I found the other day was like waist high. 
So really, yeah. So like some like only. I would actually like. I would be. I'd run the other way. That's terrifying. Right. This dress is almost yeah. as big as I get am. Freaking lost. Some, in that. some like you get like eight. <laughs> you like get like old mouth and Jurassic <laughs> asparagus. Right. You might get eight or nine inches of edible there. Okay. Right? And you could probably eat the whole thing. It'd just be very woody. So you're just like that's super high, but you're just taking that top. Yep. So if now you, what's a? Oh. Well, if you pick it wrong, can you like wipe it out? I think so, yeah. Because the, growing up, we used to have asparagus in yeah, my parents' backyard. Yeah, you didn't backyard. pick the whole patch. I picked the whole patch, that was and I it. would snap them at the base, and then one year, the asparagus never came back. That's right. Yeah, so if it can't seed and it can't come back, <laughs> Sorry, it, ain't Mom gonna, and Dad. it ain't gonna make it. <laughs> I just this kept, whole time, they've been wondering, too. They're like, I wonder what happened. I, yeah. I just kept petting it, and, <laughs> yeah. then, <laughs> and then it died. Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah, that, so was, asparagus- that was for my own selfish. I just take, needed to know. Take and tell it's gone yep. yeah so you were really i could tell you were really going after yeah something. yeah, was a yeah. Story that's why there. i was at, okay anyways you had a question yeah, like <laughs> asking for a friend is there a wrong way you can do this can that potentially this? results in it not being there anymore yeah. pretty burn pretty <laughs> um so fun to look for yep weather's Nice, right now. Generally. I'd say in general, right? Yep. Yep. What, what's a person? If a person's, uh, you said it's commonly grown in in ditches, like yep. roadside ditches. Yep, that's where you find it. Seems to do good up here. I wonder if it has to do with the salt that we put on the side of the road. That'd be interesting. Yep. But what, yeah, so what I do like you? Salt. You just find a ditch, or are you look? Are you are you seeing something, and then you're like, "Yep, there's asparagus there," and then you're gonna go find more. Find a ditch. Look for asparagus leafing out in it. I did find one at the top of a local rock outcropping very 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 high up super out of place one sprig of asparagus it's there every year i should go visit it take a picture <laughs> go visit it <laughs> say here just say hi catch up see yeah. what it's been up to don't yeah. let me i don't know it. what it's doing up there but it's up there <laughs> it won't um, be back but, but yeah g- generally like you find them in the road ditches just, are they like potatoes where like dead asparagus just grows more asparagus or what well yeah so in the fall time so we we talk about foraging in the spring being a great time to scout for the fall Hunting in the fall is a great time to scout for asparagus in the spring. You'll see them, assuming the ditch didn't get mowed, as a super vibrant, bright yellow bush. What? Oh, yeah, it geez. turns... All right, now I'm Googling it, again. Like like Pikachu yellow. Wow. Uh, what? Yeah, in, in this like drab landscape. And drop your pin and your Onyx program there. Deer feeder for asparagus, because it's going to be there in the spring. <laughs> Deer feeder. Yeah. Wild asparagus. I'm, I'm Google imaging this now. But you got to you got to look at it in the fall because it it turns a super characteristic color. Okay, so sure enough, I'm seeing it now where it's growing out of the ground. It does look just like it looks at the yeah. at the grocery store. Uh, okay, wild asparagus in fall, Pikachu yellow. I can I totally got the image in my head when you said Pikachu yellow. By the way, so that was a great. Oh whoa, like that? Yep. Is that boom? God, it wow. looks like a yellow tumbleweed. Yeah, it seriously, it does. It, does. Like it, looks tumbleweed. Like so, it also looks like something that you shouldn't go near. Yeah, so you can see that in the fall time, and you'd be like, definitely, that's absolutely asparagus. And you really? wait till like one of those October days where it's like rained a little bit and it's cloudy. Yeah, out, and that thing looks like a road flare. That thing looks like abstract art. Yep, that absolutely. Look, it looks like you'd go near it and it would electrocute you. Yep, pretty much. That's wild. Holy crap! There's no like organization to it either. It's just no. I've been walking past those things for quite some time <laughs> and had no idea what the heck they were. Dang it, yeah. I thought they were tamarack trees. They look exactly like tamaracks, dude. That's an excellent color reference. If you've ever seen a tamarack right before it's dropped its needles, they are the same color and like visual texture as tamarack. Yeah. You finally swallowed your food and said <laughs> something <laughs> worthwhile here. I appreciate that's that. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, that's... Well, I found out a lot more things that you can find, forage, eat in the spring... 
that's the extent of are there more things before we transition to gems? So I go whatever Jim wants to talk about. Well, let's run. Let's run through for the sake of time. Let's run through. I guess what I'm after. Starting early in the spring, you're with your mushroom. Well, starting early in the spring, it's with your maple syrup. But then mushrooms, and then we get into mulberries, and then we get into raspberries, and we get into gooseberries, blackberries, dewberries, wild plums, mm. feral apples. If you can find them, mm. gosh. What hey, when we we're so when we were in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Those plum thickets. Yep. We could go there and pick plums. All day long. We get out my deer in a plum thicket. Yeah. Literally inside of a plum thicket. Yep. Mm. Pokey is all get out. Oh, mm. it was horrible. But also awesome. Okay. There are, I mean, there's a, a huge variety of berries. You can get wild strawberries. really hard to find because wow. the mice, mice eat them. They're very delicate. They're very close to the ground. Slugs get them a lot. But if you find a good wild strawberry patch, mm-hmm. go back to it. And then focus on your summer uh, mushrooms like chicken of the woods like oysters and then in fall time uh hen of the woods which is a a a much larger mushroom um and then we get into tree nuts which is actually not something that i've done yet but there's a guy um jay's black walnuts out of middleton he collects black walnut which is not typically something people pick up because they're very sticky and full of resin um he processes them and sells black walnut meats uh, and then also makes cookies out of them. And I will be looking for black walnuts this fall, harvesting them. I love cookies. Our neighbor took down a black walnut tree. Also good for gun stocks. But it made me sad I liked it. Yeah. Going back to February and March, we talk about maple syrup, which is what Jim wanted to get to this whole time. Yes. I thought it was interesting because I always thought that maple syrup was like a fall thing. Just because of like the taste of it, I don't know something about like warm pancakes and butter. And yeah, yeah. Like doing all that stuff reminds me of fall, and yet most of the actual, you know, and you explain why is because the trees are bringing back their leaves. Mm-hmm. So the tree's central brain system is like send all that sap up to yep. the branches. We're good now. Yep, we're good to go. Coast is clear. Tree. Old man winter. If you're in Wisconsin, I, you know you, they can never assume old man winter is gone. Mm-hmm. So no, but tree, yeah, trees coming out of dormancy, and it's there's pumping action occurring from the root structure through the tree into the bud structure, and then back down, and then the tree's jump starting. It's turning over, um, and then you just tap into that main vein. And I feel yeah. like the maple syrup could be an entire podcast. I've got I've got yeah. two maples in my front yard uh, that I could I could probably reach out and touch with a yardstick from my window, and I can't even wrap my, my whole arm. I can't even hug one. That's all a doozy the way right there. You could run, Two of them. Yep, could run a couple taps each. I'm pretty sure the root system goes all the way into my backyard underneath my house, underneath the basement. Wow. Large. Because the, the, the branches go all the way out Yeah, there, yeah. Like, just about. But is yeah. that an ideal tree, or is that not? Uh, so, so it's not a veal of maples. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> obviously, sugar maples, like the sugar... Maple variety of maple has the highest sugar content, like per per volume, right? Yeah. So if you were to take that, so sap, they didn't do the whole like Greenland Iceland thing there where they said nope, sugar maple, they but goofed it was up. Actually the, yeah, <laughs> they, they should have called that like salt maple. People are like I stay away from yeah. that. Yeah, so sugar maple maples have the highest content per volume, but like I'm the, trying to think, Ryan, is that about two percent? I think two to two point five or something like that. I have okay. to look back at it now. I don't have any sugar maples available to me. All I have are silver maples. Now I make some pretty good maple syrup, and by the I like it. And it's just, there's, it's the same product at the yeah. end of it, right? It's just not as high of yield relative to the amount of sap that you pull out of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm at like a 50 to one ratio or so. So 50 gallons of sap nets me maybe one gallon of syrup. Oh, um, that's the thing about it. It's just 
so I, much boiling. I tell yeah. you what, inspired by Ryan, I ventured into tapping I, a I couple maple trees. Jam. I got not a ton of sap, but enough. I yeah. think I think the couple times that I've done it, I, I've made like a half a mason jar yeah. of of maple syrup. Uh, pain basically in the butt. Pain in the butt. Basically, what I did was like a proof of proof of concept. It worked. I yeah. made syrup. It's not exceptionally for one difficult pancake. from what I've heard. Is, is that it? It's just that it it's, takes for It is time consuming. But yeah. it is cool. It is amazing that you 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 pull this clear. It, it basically looks like you've pulled water out mm-hmm. of the tree. And you boil it and you boil it and you boil it. And then all of a sudden you have maple syrup. I have such a greater appreciation for maple syrup now than I had before. Yeah. Yeah. You, just, you know how much work went into yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, continue. So because... It's, You're by far. I mean, how many how many gallons of sap do you make on average in a year? Um, I process, you know, probably a hundred and you know, not a lot. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like from maple syrup production, if you get into like central to northern Wisconsin, the guys up there, some of the biggest sugar bushes in the U.S. are in Wisconsin, Michigan, um, Maine, Vermont, and some in Minnesota. We're talking; they make thousands of gallons of syrup a year. So again, yeah. I'm getting a 50 to 1 ratio with horribly inefficient equipment. They might be besting that by maybe 10 points. They're still processing a ton of sap, tons and tons and tons and tons of saps, thousands of gallons to get this yield. So I, I think the most I ever did, I finished out with like 170 ounces of sap. So multiply that by 40 or 50, and that's about how much I boiled. Mm-hmm. Wait, ounces or gallons? Ounces. So... It's not a lot. 128 ounces in a gallon. It's a lot of sap to get. Oh, of syrup. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah my, my bad. Okay. Yeah. So syrup. 170 something ounces that is, of syrup. That's a lot of work. And then that's where you're getting out the turkey fryers. You're boiling it, boiling it, boiling it, boiling yeah. it. You get it, to one, you get it to a certain point where you've boiled it so much, then you go to the stove top yeah, and so, you boil it and you boil it and you boil it. And you boil it and I've, through trial and error, I've done it in stages where I'll boil to a concentrate. My concentrate, I judge based on color. I jar my concentrate, put it in my fridge because then I can do more of it and I can keep that concentrate stable for a while. Then I finish that concentrate on my uh, stovetop, just in a, in a pan uh, that I've got. A, a, Not even in like a sauce dish, like a pan. No, it's like a stainless. It's a stainless steel pan. I also make macaroni and cheese in that same pan. So, <laughs> where's, where's that at? Rick's over here, like I wonder if I put hot dogs in a bag of cheese. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I boil that down, and, and then I end up with finished product there in that saucepan. What's the thing called? I bought one and then just ended up not using it. Hygrometer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you already know. <laughs> right. That's the same thing I don't use either. I have a hygrometer. I don't use it. I actually I put a fork in my maple syrup when I say it looks-ish like maple syrup. I go based on the bubble content, mm-hmm. how long my bubbles stick around, the huh. size of my bubbles, and when I agitate the syrup when it's boiling, what my bubbles behave like. You know, mm. so... Because otherwise, because if you don't get it all the way down, you can mold, right? Yeah, definitely. So I had molding last year uh, on a micro batch that I did. And I actually found out that it's because I used these adorable bottles that I imported because I wanted to give everybody these little 4.25-ounce bottles that have, like, little swing tops Dang on them. Dang it. The bottles cool too fast, and they allow for the proliferation of bacteria on the surface on any remnant water. And so I ended up with See, that's molding. what happens when you're trying so to be all, the cooling, all Pinterest-y yeah. and cute. Yeah. And, I'm Gosh, sorry, that's, Ryan. like, counterintuitive. I it, feel like yeah, if it, it cooled fast, you'd be less likely right. to have... No, anyway, was, I goofed up. Speaking of macaroni, and I guess... I guess to visualize, you go right? buddy the elf on us and put syrup on your macaroni. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> but 
in my vast syruping experience. But when you're when you're boiling that down, and when it starts to get close, it does start to bubble up, almost akin to like when you're mac. Like yeah. If you got some box macaroni and you yep. get her on high, and all of a sudden you've got this overflow of white foam. That's it's almost start, like that's that. how you start a fire. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Last two years ago, I I burned down a, a turkey fryer because I I walked away for like six minutes and came back to smoldering and molten aluminum. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. So uh, grease fire or syrup fryer, which would you, uh, which is worse? I think syrup because the it like sticks to you like napalm. Oh God, it's jeez, it's awful, it's terrible stuff. So yeah, and that happens. At least when I was watching it, it kind of went from stable to not to stable to quickly. not very quickly. Yeah. yeah, you gotta yeah you gotta keep an eye on it. I made my first you, time that I did. I made um maple candy. Yep, accidental but still good. Accidental but still good. Yeah. Yep. Further reason I don't think I'm gonna do this thing. You need yeah. to do it. It's a ton it's of cool. work. I can start a maple syrup fire. Covered napalm. in napalm. <laughs> Freaking macaroni and cheese. Macaroni you had me at napalm. I don't even like mac and cheese that much. <laughs> right? Too many carbs. What else do you have, Jim? You have got a list. I feel no, like No, you already went through everything on my list. I'm 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 absolutely amazed at how much we've discussed here regarding foraging and gardening and all these things that I feel like there's goes so much so more well too. with hunting. No, oh, there's so much more, and I hope yeah. that Here's the thing is that, you know, MC Ryan has this uh, super nifty shot clock for us up here that, that says when we've uh, been talking for a long time. It gets and red when we get over an it hour. It actually does, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's the part where the cameras don't turn around and show you when it's turned red. But it is red now. And But how about at this point we'll just say that if you've been listening, there may be things we haven't gone over. And if there are things that you can think of that we haven't gone over, you're probably like, white knuckling your steering wheel screaming at us saying why didn't you talk about this yet and if that's the case wait till you park your car or do you know park your lawn more or you know do whatever i don't know you're doing uh and then comment on instagram send us a message and say i would like to hear more about this well topic and i would add you know we've talked about a lot of stuff you know here in wisconsin and a lot of these things are very regional and yeah, i know yes. Back in my uh, Washington State days, one thing that we had an abundance of were these big, beautiful, luscious blackberries that I just took for granted as they're just all around. And so I'd, I'd say, similar to you, Jim, but might if, need a if listener people special. have exactly listener, if you have things that you like to forage that are you know intrinsic or regional to your area, let us know because we want to hear about those. Shout out to our folks in the American South and Southwest. You got that cactus fruit. We would Ooh. love to talk about cactus fruit. You got that cactus time. fruit. Uh, Eric and I found some, what I think was prickly pear. We have prickly yeah. pear here. Yeah. It's, endemic. it's endemic to Wisconsin. Yeah. It was go- in a very dry, deserty yeah. looking Dude, spot. it looked like we were in... Uh, I got a picture of it. Like, either Oklahoma or yeah. somewhere in South Dakota. Th- like this is the interesting wild. part about the Driftless region where the glaciation didn't occur, yep. and we have prickly pear cactus growing here. Yep. Now, Minnesota, right sandwiched in the middle between one of my favorite states, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin. We don't have that except for, like, in the furthest southwest corner. So, yeah, uh, prickly pear, too, another great Wait, food. what the heck? Yeah, Wisconsin. prickly pear, man. That was, that's Wisconsin? Yeah. That was last week. I can, we're gonna, there was also we're gonna have to post that on. Uh, we're we're ten minutes from a prickly pear plant right now. I can bring you to it. That's crazy. Yeah, there so, was also a, a natural uh, like like a stream or uh, like a, like a spring because mm-hmm. like it had rained the night before. It then stopped. Everything was dry, and we're like, "What the heck? Why is it still covered in water?" And we got up on top, and there was this like like natural spring. Yep. 
I was so like, oh, we should get those and eat them. And, and then I was like, well, maybe they're protected in Wisconsin. It seems like something that might be protected. I don't know. Yeah. But prickly pear pears, the palms or whatever you would call them, very common in like, traditional Mexican foods and, and uh, Find southwest. Find them in the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And so for, for all you folks in the southwest, cactus fruit, that's a winner. Amazing stuff. Uh, in the American South, like Georgia and, and stuff like that, uh, all, all the cool tree fruits and nuts that you guys have down there, a lot of the same stuff occurs here as it does in, like, New York, Maine, Vermont. We yeah, get I mean, let, let's talk about uh, coastal places. Yeah. you got kelps, yep. seaweeds, yeah. There's a all lot sorts of, of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. get some listener specials going about yeah, this stuff. Yeah, I like bring it. Some, bring some out-of-staters. Yeah. Let's hear what you got. All right, well, we'll call that a last call and and stick a fork in it, literally. Rick, do the honors. You ate a lot. Yeah, yeah. stick a fork in that uh, in that jam there. I'm getting the. I'm kind of getting sleepy from all that butter. I yeah. Uh, <laughs> just so you know, we almost consumed a third pound of butter between the four of us. I call that a win. Good day. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. As always, like we said, hit us up with uh, suggestions and and things like that on Instagram. Oh, rate this podcast on iTunes too. We'd love to see the ratings uh, from you guys and what you, and hear your thoughts. Follow on YouTube. Follow on YouTube. Don't yep. rate the long goodbye part. The what? I feel like this has been a long goodbye. Yeah, it has. Sorry, guys. Okay, bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.